0: Supposed to be such a good reveal too. rats anyway uh officially mind streamer minecraft streamer boy <laughs> as i believe the general put it uh i would like to i would like to give i mean obviously the most special shout out to my girlfriend uh but as uh, a pretty dope anniversary gift i have this now which means that I now join the ranks of my sister and of uh, of my friend Nate, my best boy Nathan. But I mean, I've been messing around with this mic for a little while now, and I am I'm really happy with it. <laughs> uh, still, some adjustments to be made, of course. Um, I don't love I don't love that it jostles around as much as it does. Happy anniversary let's see the eighth Um, Cass's and my anniversary is August which is goofy but uh, we don't really know when we sort of went from good good friends to officially dating and so um, we just call it August we just call it the month of August which is fun because it's a lot easier to remember we don't have to worry about uh, forgetting and being in that uncomfortable spot. Rachel, I love you so much. I hope the stream goes well as well. Thank you for stopping in, and uh, I love you. I'll talk to you later. So again, I'm making adjustments on the fly, but uh, let me just—I don't know. You guys want to see this setup? So my my uh, webcam lives right here, and let's let's pull out for a second, shall we? This will be a lot easier to do if I don't do it the screwball way. Let's try this instead. Huh? All right. Come a microphone. Oh man. This is a nightmare. <laughs> oh, goofy. It's all right. That, uh, for anyone who doesn't have motion sickness, congrats. All right. Enough with this goofy nonsense. Jenna says, mood. Me and my girlfriend decided our anniversary was going to be June 21st, a.k.a. Valentine's Day to Electric Boogaloo. I like it. Lisa, welcome. I'm so happy you guys are here for the live stuff. I love, I love getting a chance to talk with you guys live, and so I'm always glad when people can make it live. Of course, it's been tough because over the past couple of weeks, I've been traveling, uh, which means it's been erratic, hasn't it? It's been a lot of, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure on your guys' end, not knowing uh, at noon on Thursday if I'm going to be streaming in a couple of hours, but I'm glad I'm back into it. And let's get this bread, huh? (laughs) That's Cassidy's favorite quote. Make sure what? no I don't No, I I unfortunately I only look at my face no that's it really is gonna be a problem I'm gonna have to put here here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna put a a cutout of your face right here and I'm gonna make one of the eye holes uh, the camera lens yeah but it'll help me look it'll help me stay focused on looking at the camera otherwise I'm just down here on on uh, now that I've got two screens I'm down here on my my stream screen and then up there at my at my reading screen Anyway, let's get into it, shall we? I hope y'all are doing great. Uh, Maria, welcome. As you likely know at this point, uh, I'm going to go through a quick summary. If you are not into the... why am I still on this screen? I'm just now realizing what am I doing here. Let's go to the library. Why didn't you? Why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you tell me um, we're going to be going through a quick summary of what we saw last chapter because we only did one last week and then we're going to move into chapters 29 and chapter uh, chapters 29 and 30 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire I love what I can do with this mic I can I can monitor it live which is really really important when you're trying to hear what your voice sounds like okay so the madness of mr. crouch it was a lot of talking. It was a big discussion, um, essentially, last week, about primarily Mr. Crouch, Bartimaeus Crouch, um, but also Snape. There are there are some things that we found out, a lot of things. Uh, turns out that Barty Crouch was a politician, but a notorious hater of dark magic. Now, this is a good thing, right? Well, his methods are... It seems perhaps more, more brutal than a lot of wizards deemed appropriate. Now, how, you know, how, how heavy handed should you be when dealing with overt evil? Well, I mean, that's an excellent question, right? At what point does, does the way that you deal with evil become evil? Uh, Rachel says, mom's watching too, just for a bit until dinner. Outside of Freddy's, the Burger Place. I don't know where Freddy's is. Is that in? Is that at home? Yeah, it's by are y'all at? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um. Yes, we talked about kilts, and uh, and then afterwards in the Discord, Nathan just harshed, uh, Ashling for like twenty minutes. It was a great night. (laughs) Um let's see uh but yeah harry uh harry and hermione and ron go up to meet with with uh sirius black who is hiding as a dog in a cave near hogsmeade but i mean this is a very dangerous thing for him to do so uh they talk about party crouch they talk about his history as a uh a, a politician who it sounds like was pretty keen on getting the um uh prime minister of magic uh, he wanted, to be, he wanted to be the head honcho, and it seems that after the way that he dealt with his son so harshly, uh, people were less keen to give him that job, and instead he got shunted over to international magical cooperation. We also learned a tiny bit about Snape. I don't want to go too much into that, though. I realize it's the summary, but it might take some punch out of uh, what we see, what we talk about today. So, let's get started, shall we? As always, I keep, I've actually, I did an okay job looking at my camera lens, but I looked at the wrong one. I'm still looking at the one on my laptop and I've got this webcam here. So let's try this one, shall we? As usual, welcome and all that. But also, if you want to talk about anything, go ahead and put it in chat. I love talking about it. Um, And uh, as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to bounce in there before we start reading. But I also want to talk to you guys uh, very briefly. Uh, thank you so much for all of the uh, all the new subs. I love seeing you guys in here. I've got an issue. I'm on a diet called keto now. And you know what's really not good on keto? So we're going to have to sort something out. I'm either going to... I mean, I feel like the, I, I think we can still make it work. It's just in the, the volume at which I will be required to undergo this sort of thing may be rough. So we may have to try something else. I, I'm going to make good on the, uh, the promise of the remainder of these things somehow. Uh, <laughs> says weakling weakling. Yeah, no, I know. I know. But, uh. I like I said I, I do and I will may be making good on it uh, the question is how it's, a, it's going to be a question of method not uh, yes or no so there's that and then secondly um, I'm gonna be posting another video about this just to ask the, the poll question but where do you guys like to go for your extra uh, social media stuff you know if you if you guys were to go somewhere else because I want to make sure I've got at least one other way to sort of put the word out there about things. Um, so I mean, do y'all like Instagram? Are you into, I mean, Discord? I like Discord, but I know that's not everybody's bag. Uh, Snapchat? What's What are you on? Are you on TikTok? Are you on TikTok? Tell me you're not on TikTok. You're probably on TikTok, aren't you? I'm gonna eat the beans for goodness sake. I'm gonna eat the beans. I already told you. Beans? The beans will be eaten. The question is from here because I mean... When I started that I was, you know, we were rolling in one or two beans like a week. Uh, it got hot. So we're gonna have to see what happens. I wonder if we can get, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm at like, I'm at like 50 beans. What? Okay, so let's see. Uh, Julia says Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram. Cool. Ashling says love Discord. I'm with you. General says Pillow Fort, to be honest. General, what are you talking about? What is Pillow Fort? It's pretty much Tumblr, but without the icky rules. (laughs) I mean, depending on who you are, uh, which rules are icky might be very much in question. I'm going to assume because I feel like I feel like I know you fairly well general at this point you're one of the people who definitely uh, projects a lot of personality into chat Uh, I'm gonna guess I know which ones you're referring to Lisa says Facebook and Instagram okay all right I do have an Instagram it's just at sidecar stories all one word Um, I do intend to get back there and start posting pretty regularly I had an old system for it and it was just I mean it was the the stuff on there was blah so I'm going to I'm going to get back into it. Get some regular stuff going. Maria says Instagram and Discord. Uh Nahona or Najona? Probably Nahona. Says, "Hey Sam, first time in a live reading, even though I'm on book 3. Just wanted to say hello. I look forward to you catching up." Um and then What Demas says, I want to talk, but I didn't watch the previous videos. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Welcome. Uh, Katie says hi. Welcome, Katie. All right. You know what? Uh, at some point in this uh, Harry Potter reading stream, I should probably read Harry Potter. Huh? Should we get into that? Let's get into it. Let me make some adjustments here. It's uh, this, this mic is definitely great because it helps me... Uh, monitor my audio, super important, Uh, but it also is more directional than my other microphone and as such I can afford to have the uh, air conditioning on because otherwise it would be sweltering in here. It would be a a nightmare. Alright, Arun, welcome. Let's start reading, shall we? first chapter is a, a shorter one. Chapter 29 The Dream It comes down to this, said Hermione, rubbing her forehead, either Mr. Crouch attacked Victor or somebody else attacked both of them while Victor wasn't looking. It must have been Crouch, said Ron at once. That's why he was gone when Harry and Dumbledore got there. He done a runner. I don't think so, said Harry, shaking his head. He seemed really weak. I don't reckon he was up to disapparating or anything. You can't disapparate on the Hogwarts grounds. Haven't I told you enough times? said Hermione. Okay, all right. How's this for a the theory? said Ron excitedly. Crumb attacked Crouch. No, wait for it, wait for it. And then stunned himself. And Mr. Crouch evaporated, did he? said Hermione coldly. Oh, yeah. It was daybreak. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had crept out of their dormitories very early and hurried to the Owlery together to send a note to Sirius. Now they were standing looking out at the misty grounds. All three of them were puffy-eyed and pale because they had just... Um, uh, because they had been talking late into the night about Mr. Crouch. Just go through with it again, Harry?" said Hermione. What did Mr. Crouch actually say?" I told you, he wasn't making much sense, said Harry. He said he wanted to warn Dumbledore about something. He definitely mentioned Bertha Jorkins, and he seemed to think that she was dead. He kept saying that stuff was his fault. He mentioned his son. Well, that was his fault, said Hermione testily. He was out of his mind, said Harry. Half the time he seemed to think that his wife and son were still alive, and he kept talking to Percy about work and giving him instructions. And remind me about what he said about you-know-who, said Ron tentatively. I've told you, Harry repeated dully. He said he's getting stronger. But there was a pause. Then Ron said in a falsely confident voice, But he was out of his mind, like you said, so half of it was probably just raving. He was the sanest when he was trying to talk about Voldemort, said Harry, and Ron winced at the sound of the name. He was having real trouble stringing two words together, but that was when he seemed to know where he was, and what he wanted to do. He just kept saying he wanted to see Dumbledore. Harry turned away from the window and stared up into the rafters. The many perches were half empty. Every now and then, another owl would swoop in through one of the windows, returning from its night's hunting with a mouse in its beak. If Snape hadn't held me up, Harry said bitterly, we might have got there in time. The headmaster is busy, Potter. Why? What's this rubbish, Potter? Why couldn't he have just gone out of the way? "'Maybe he didn't want you to get there,' said Ron quickly. "'Maybe. Hang on. How fast do you think he could have gotten down to the forest? Do you reckon he could have beaten you and Dumbledore there?' "'Not unless he can turn himself into a bat or something,' said Harry. "'I wouldn't put it past him,' Ron muttered. "'We need to see Professor Moody,' said Hermione. "'We need to find out whether he found Mr. Crouch.' "'If he had the Marauder's Map on him, it would have been easy.' said Harry. Unless Crouch was already outside the ground, said Ron, because it only shows up to the boundaries, does not Shh! said Hermione suddenly. Somebody was climbing the steps to the Owlery. Harry could hear two voices arguing, coming closer and closer. "'That's blackmail, that is. Good gets into a lot of trouble for that. we oh, tried being polite. It's time to play dirty like him. We wouldn't want the Ministry of Magic knowing what he did. I'm telling you, if we put that in right in its blackmail, yeah, and you wouldn't be complaining if we got a nice fat payoff, would you?" The Owlery door banged open. Fred and George came over to the threshold and froze at the sight of Ron, Harry, and Hermione. "'What are you doing here?' Ron and Fred said at the same time. "'Sending a letter,' said Harry and George in unison. What, at this time? said Hermione and Fred. Fred grinned. Fine. We won't ask you what you're doing if you don't ask us, he said. He was holding a sealed envelope in his hands. Harry glanced at it, but Fred, whether accidentally or on purpose, shifted his hand so that the name on it was covered. Well, don't let us hold you up, Fred said, making a mock bow and pointing at the door. Ron didn't move. Who are you blackmailing? The grin vanished from Fred's face. Harry saw George half glance at Fred before smiling at Ron. (laughs) Don't be stupid. I was only joking, he said easily. Didn't sound like that, said Ron. Fred and George looked at each other, then Fred said abruptly, I've told you before, Ron, keep your nose out of it if you like the shape it is. I can't see why you would, but... It's my business if you're blackmailing someone, said Ron. George is right, you could end up in serious trouble for that. I told you, I was joking, said George. He walked over to Fred, pulled the letter out of his hands and began attaching it to the leg of the nearest barn owl. You're starting to sound a bit like our dear older brother you are, Ron. Carry on like this and you'll be made a prefect. No, I won't, said Ron hotly. George carried the barn over. Strong boy. Julian, how's it going? Welcome back. Sorry it's been crazy, but I'm glad you can make it. It's been crazy for me too, to be honest. George carried the barn owl over to the window, and it took off. George turned around and grinned at Ron. Well, stop telling people that you do, then. See you later. Oh, man. Well, stop telling people what to do, then. See you later. He and Fred left the Owlery. Harry, Ron, and Hermione stared at one another. You don't think they know something about all this, do you? Hermione whispered. About Crouch and everything. No, said Harry. If it was something that serious, they would tell someone they would tell Dumbledore. Ron, however, looked uncomfortable. What's the matter? Hermione asked him. Well, said Ron slowly, I don't know if they would. They're, They're obsessing with making money lately. I noticed it when I was hanging around with them when, you know, we weren't talking. Harry finished the sentence for him. Yeah, but blackmail? It's this joke shop idea that they've got, said Ron. I thought they were only saying it to annoy Mum, but they really mean it. They want to start one. They've only got a year left at Hogwarts. They keep going on about how it's time to start thinking about their future. And Dad can't help them. And they need to get gold to get started. Hermione was looking uncomfortable now. Yes, but... They wouldn't do anything against the law to get gold." "'Wouldn't they?' said Ron, looking sceptical. "'I don't know. They don't exactly mind breaking the rules, do they?' "'Yes, but this is the law,' said Hermione, looking scared. "'This isn't some silly school rule. They'll get a lot more than detention for blackmail, Ron. Maybe you'd better tell Percy.' (laughs) "'Are you mad?' said Ron. "'Tell Percy?' They'd probably do a crouch and turn them in. He stared at the window, through which Fred and George's owl had departed, and then said, Come on, let's get some breakfast. Do you think it's too early to go and see Professor Moody? Hermione said as they went down the spiral staircase. Yes, said Harry. He'd probably blast us through the door if we woke him up at the crack of dawn. He'll think we're trying to attack him while he's asleep. Let's give him a break. Yes, Chad, I do see you. And the terrible, terrible things you're doing. Five Foot Fury, of course, being uh, my girlfriend. And it would seem the instigator of this terrible, terrible thing that you're trying to do to me. Oh, boy. Jam this pop filter on here. See if that does anything. Why do the people want cheese? Oh, Meat? Oh, boy. All right, well, I accept my fate. Whatever happens. He'd probably blast us through a door if we woke him up at the crack of dawn. We'll think we're trying to attack him while he's asleep. Let's give it till break. History of magic had rarely gone so slowly. Harry kept checking Ron's watch, having finally discarded his own, but Ron's was moving so slowly he could have sworn it had stopped too. All three of them were so tired they could happily have put their heads down on the desks and slept. Even Hermione wasn't taking her usual notes, but was sitting with her hand on her head, gazing at Professor Binns with her eyes out of focus. When the bell finally rang, they hurried out into the corridors toward the dark arts classroom and found Professor Moody leaving it. He looked as tired as they felt. The eyelids of his normal eye was drooping, giving his face an even more lopsided appearance than usual. "'Professor Moody?' Harry called as they made their way toward him through the crowd. "'Hello, Potter,' growled Moody. His magical eye followed a couple of passing 1st years who sped up, looking nervous. It rolled into the back of Moody's head and watched them around the corner before he spoke again. "'Come in here!' He stood back to let them into the empty classroom, limped in after them, and closed the door. "'Did you find him?' Harry asked without preamble. Mr. Crouch? No, said Moody. He moved over to his desk, sat down, stretched out his wooden leg with a slight groan, and pulled out a hip flask. Did you use the map? Harry asked. Of course, said Moody, taking a swig from his flask. Took a leaf out of your book, Potter. Summoned it from my office. Mm. Summoned it from my office into the forest. He wasn't anywhere in there. So he did disappear," said Ron. You can't disappear on the grounds, Ron, said Hermione. There are other ways he could have disappeared, aren't there, Professor? Rudy's magical eye quivered as it rested on Hermione. You're another one who might think about a career as an Auror, he told her. Your mind works the right way, Granger. Hermione flushed pink with pleasure. "Well, he wasn't invisible," said Harry. "The map shows invisible people. He must have left the grounds then." "But under his own steam?" said Hermione eagerly, "or because someone made him?" "Yeah, somebody could have-could uh, have pulled him under a broom and flown off with him, couldn't they?" said Ron quickly, looking hopefully at Moody as though he too wanted to be told he had the makings of an aura. We can't rule out kidnap, growled Moody. "So," said Ron, "do you reckon he's someone in Osgood?" "Could be anywhere," said Moody, shaking his head. "Only thing we know for sure is he's not here." He yawned widely, so that the scars stretched and his lopsided mouth revealed a number of missing teeth. Then he said, "'Now Dumbledore's told me that you three fancy yourselves as investigators, "'but there's nothing you can do for Mr. Crouch. "'The Ministry will be looking for him now. "'Dumbledore's notified them. "'Butter, you just keep your mind on that third task.' "'What?' said Harry. "'Oh, yeah.' "'He hadn't given the maze a single thought since he'd left it with Crumb the previous night. "'Should be right up your street, this one,' said Moody looking up at Harry and scratching his scarred and stubbly chin. From what Dumbledore said, you've managed to get through stuff like this plenty of times. Root your way through a series of obstacles guarding the Sorcerer's Stone in your first year, didn't you? We helped, Ron said quickly. Me and Hermione helped. Moody grinned. Oh help and practice for this one. I'll be very surprised if he doesn't win, said Moody. In the meantime, constant vigilance, Potter—constant vigilance! He took another long draw from his hip-flask, and his magical eye swiveled onto the window. The topmost sail of Durmstrang's ship was visible through it. you two, too—counseled Moody, his normal eye on Ron and Hermione. —You stick close to Potter, all right. I'm keeping an eye on things, but all the same. I never have too many eyes out. Alright, let's see what horrible things y'all are doing in chat. That's the chapter break. Let's take a look. I'm seeing History of Hogwarts. Oh boy. Michaela, what did you put in here? I would approve of cheese in place of beans, but only if someone sends that gross maggot filled cheese i'm not doing it i i couldn't do it i can barely do your average like casserole i'm not there's not a chance i'm gonna succeed on some some maggot cheese yeah (laughs) five foot fury says imagine how nasty the worm cheese would be by the time it got to us yeah awful i get the impression that michaela just isn't doesn't have my best interests at heart, you know what I mean? Five Fury says, as his producer, I assume that this is my responsibility. There's nothing I enjoy more than making Sam try weird things. <laughs> Some fear cheese. Fear cheese. <laughs> Awful. You guys aren't allowed to talk to each other anymore. I'm gonna I'm gonna just straight up I'm gonna shut chat down. We're done with chat. Well, you guys make evil things when I let you in chat. What? Sorry. Ugh. Casserole taste, <laughs> taste testing. I've got a texture thing. That's my deal. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a texture thing with food. Dear FT Jester says, I think even ten years Hermione will be saying honestly one day. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a while before these fellows get the picture. All right. Sirius sent their owl back the very next morning. It fluttered down beside Harry at the same moment that a tawny owl landed in front of Hermione, clutching a copy of the Daily Prophet in its beak. She took the newspaper, scanned the first few pages, said, Ha! She hasn't got a wind of Crouch! Then joined Ron and Harry in reading what Sirius had to say on the mysterious events of the night before last. Harry, what do you think you're playing at walking off into the forest with Victor Crumb? I want you to swear by Return Owl that you are not going to go walking with anyone else at night. There is somebody highly dangerous at Hogwarts. It's clear to me that they wanted to stop Crouch from seeing Dumbledore, and you were probably feet away from them in the dark. You could have been killed. Your name didn't get into the Goblet of Fire by accident. If someone is trying to attack you, they're on their last chance. Stay close to Ron and Hermione. Do not leave Gryffindor Tower after hours and arm yourself for the third task. Practice stunning and disarming. A few hexes wouldn't go amiss either. There's nothing you can do about Crouch. Keep your head down and look after yourself. I'm waiting for your letter. I'm waiting for your letter giving me your word. You won't stray out of bounds again. Serious. Who's he to lecture me about being out of bounds? Said Harry. In mild indignation as he folded up Sirius's letter and put it inside his robes. After all the stuff that he's done at school? He's worried about you, said Hermione sharply. Just like Moody and Hagrid, so listen to them. No one's trying to attack me all year, said Harry. No one's done anything to me except, except to put your name in the Goblet of Fire, said Hermione. And they must have done that for a reason, Harry. Snuffles is right, Maybe they've been biding their time. Maybe this is the task that... They're going to try and get you. Look, said Harry impatiently, let's say that Sirius is right, and someone stunned Crumb to kidnap Crouch. Well, they would have been in the trees near us, wouldn't they? But they waited until I was out of the way until they acted, didn't they? So it doesn't look like I'm the target, after all, does it? They could have made it look like an accident, if they'd murdered you in the forest." Oh. They couldn't have made it look like an accident, if they'd murdered you in the forest, said Hermione. But if you died during a task... They didn't care about attacking Crumb, did they? said Harry. Why didn't they just polish me off at the same time? They could have made it look like Crumb and I had a duel or something. Harry, I don't understand it either, said Hermione desperately. I just know that there are a lot of odd things going on, and I don't like it. Moody's right. Sirius is right. You've got to get in training for the third task, straight away. And you've got to make sure that you're right back to Sirius, and promise him you're not going to go sneaking off alone again. Jester says, I thought if he was in such danger, Dumbledore would have asked Harry to lose the challenges. Yeah, to kind of throw the, uh, throw the competition. It is interesting, Harry. Uh, that's that's one of Harry's things, though, isn't it? It's pride. He's a prideful individual, um, which I think I think goes hand in hand. I think there are very few um, character traits that exist solely on their own, and I think pride is a huge one. Uh, you know, pride pride exists in people for all sorts of different reasons, and uh, in Harry's case, I think it it, has, it helps him over the course of, of the books. I don't think it's done him a lot of favors so far. As far as where we're at, but you know, serious. Uh, Julia says, serious, Harry, be careful. Also, serious, sends Harry Broomstick anonymously. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, serious black has always been, uh, do as I say, not as I do. The Hogwarts grounds never looked more inviting than when Harry had to stay indoors. For the next few days, he spent all of his time either in the library with Hermione and Ron, looking up hexes, or else in empty classrooms, which they sneaked into to practice. Harry was concentrating on the stunning spell, which he had never used before. The trouble was that practicing it involved certain sacrifices on Ron and Hermione's part. Ugh... "'Can't we kidnap Mrs. Norris?' Ron suggested on Monday lunchtime as he lay flat on his back in the middle of their charms classroom, having just been stunned and reawoken by Harry for the fifth time in a row. "'Let's stun her for a bit. "'Or you could use Dobby, Harry. "'I bet he'd be willing to do anything to help you. "'I'm not complaining or anything,' he got gingerly to his feet, rubbing his backside. "'But I am aching all over.' "'Well, you keep missing the cushions, don't you?' said Hermione impatiently, rearranging the pile of cushions that they had used for the brand um that they had used for the banishing spell, which Flitwick had left in a cabinet. Just try and fall backward. Once you're stunned you can't aim too well, Hermione, said Ron angrily. Why don't you take a turn? Well, I think Harry's got it by now, anyway, said Hermione hastily. And we don't have to worry about disarming because he's been able to do that for ages. I think we ought to start on some of these hexes this evening." She looked down at the list that they had made in the library. "'I like the look of this one,' she said. This impediment curse. It should slow down anything that's trying to attack you, Harry. We'll start with that one.' The bell rang. They hastily shoved the cushions back into Flitwick's cupboard and slipped out of the classroom. I'll see you at dinner," said Hermione, and she set off for Arithmancy. While Harry and Ron. While Harry and Ron headed toward North Tower and Divination. Broad strips of dazzling gold sunlight fell across the corridor from the high windows. The sky outside was so brightly blue it looked as though it had been enameled. It's going to be boiling in Trelawney's room. She never puts out that fire," said Ron as they started the staircase toward the silver, sl- as they started up the staircase toward the silver ladder and the trapdoor. He was quite right. The dimly lit room was swelteringly hot. The fumes from the perfumed fire were heavier than ever. Harry's head swam as he made his way over toward one of the curtained windows. While, Prolo- While Professor Trelawney was looking the other way, disentangling her shawl from a lamp, he opened it an inch or so and settled back into his chintz armchair so that a soft breeze played across his face. It was extremely comfortable. My dears, said Professor Chelawney, sitting down in her winged armchair in front of the class and peering around at them all with her strangely enlarged eyes, we have almost finished our work on planetary divination. Today, however... be an excellent opportunity to examine the effects of Mars, for he is placed most interestingly at the present time. If you will all look this way, I will dim the lights." She waved her wand, and the lamps went out. The fire was the only source of light now. Professor Trelawney bent down and lifted from under her chair a miniature model of the solar system, contained within a glass dome, It was a beautiful thing. Each of the moons glimmered in place around the nine planets and the fiery sun, all of them hanging in thin air beneath the glass. Harry watched lazily as Professor Trelawney began to point out the fascinating angle Mars was taking to Neptune. The heavily perfumed fumes washed over him and the breeze from the window played across his face. He could hear an insect humming gently somewhere behind the curtain, and his eyelids began to droop. He was riding on the back of an eagle owl, soaring through the clear blue sky toward an old, ivy-covered house set high in a hillside. Lower and lower they flew, the wind blowing pleasantly in Harry's face, until they reached a dark and broken window in the upper story of the house and entered. Now they were flying along a gloomy passageway to a room at the very end. Through the door they went into a dark room whose windows were boarded up. Harry had left the owl's back. He was watching now as it fluttered across the room into a chair with its back to him. There were two dark shapes on the floor beside the chair. Both of them were stirring. One was a huge snake. The other was a man, a short, balding man, a man with watery eyes and a pointed nose. He was wheezing and sobbing in the hearthrug. You are in luck, Wormtail, said a cold, high-pitched voice from the depths of the chair in which the owl had landed. You are very fortunate indeed. Your blunder has not ruined everything. He is dead My lord gasped the man on the floor. My lord I am I am so pleased and so sorry Nagini said the cold voice you are out of luck I will not be feeding wormtail to you after all but never mind never mind there is still Harry Potter The snake hissed, and Harry could see its tongue fluttering. Now, Wormtail, said the cold voice, perhaps one more little reminder why I will not tolerate another blunder from you. My lord, no, I beg you. The tip of a wand emerged from around the back of the chair. It was pointing at Wormtail. Crucio, said the cold voice. Wormtail screamed, screamed as though every nerve in his body were on fire. The screaming filling Harry's ears and the scar on his forehead searing with pain. He was yelling too. Voldemort could hear him. He knew he was there. Harry! Harry! Harry opened his eyes. He was lying on the floor of Professor Trelawney's room with his hands over his face. His scar was still burning so badly that his eyes were watering. The pain had been real. The whole class was standing around him and Rod was kneeling next to him, looking terrified. You all right? He said. Of course he isn't, said Professor Trelawney, looking thoroughly excited. Her great eyes loomed over Harry, gazing at him. What was it, Potter? A premonition? An apparition? What did you see? Nothing, Harry lied. He sat up. He could feel himself shaking. He couldn't stop himself from looking around into the shadows behind him. Voldemort's voice had sounded so close. You were clutching your scar, said Professor Trelawney. You were rolling on the floor, clutching your scar. Come now, Potter. I have experience in these matters. Harry looked up at her. I need to go to the hospital wing, I think, he said. Bad headache. My dear, you are undoubtedly stimulated by the extraordinary clairvoyant vibrations of my room, said Professor Trelawney. If you leave now, you may lose the opportunity to see further than you have ever. I don't want to see anything except a headache cure, said Harry. He stood up. The class backed away. They all looked unnerved. See you later, Harry muttered to Ron, and he picked up his bag and headed for the trapdoor, ignoring Professor Trelawney, who was wearing an expression of great frustration, as though she had just been denied a real treat. When Harry reached the bottom of her ladder, however, he did not set off for the hospital wing. He had no intention whatsoever of going there. Sirius had told him what to do if his scar hurt him again, and Harry was going to follow his advice. He was going straight to Dumbledore's office. He marched down the corridors, thinking about what he had seen in the dream. It had been as vivid as the one that had awoken him on Privet Drive. He ran over the details in his mind, trying to make sure that he could remember them. He had heard Voldemort accusing Wormtail of making a blunder. But the owl had brought good news. The blunder had been repaired. Somebody was dead. So Wormtail was not going to be fed to the snake. He, Harry, was going to be fed to it instead. Harry had walked right past the stone gargoyle guarding the entrance to Dumbledore's office without noticing. He blinked, looked around, realized what he had done, and retraced his steps, stopping in front of it. Then he remembered that he didn't know the password. Lemon drop, he tried tentatively. The gargoyle did not move. Okay, said Harry, staring at it. Uh, pear drop, uh, licorice wand, fizzing wispy, droobles best blowing gum, Betty Bott's every flavor beans. Oh no, he doesn't like them, does he? Oh, just open, can't you? he said angrily. I really need to see him, it's urgent. The gargoyle remained immovable. Harry kicked it, achieving nothing but an excruciating pain in his big toe. Chocolate frog, he yelled angrily, standing on one leg. Sugar quill, cockroach cluster. The gargoyle sprang to life and jumped aside. Harry. Blinked. Cockroach cluster, he said, amazed. I was only joking. He hurried through the gap in the walls and stepped into the f- f- um. Stepped onto the foot of a spiral stone staircase, which moved slowly upward. As the doors closed behind him, taking him up to a polished oak door with a brass door knocker. He could hear voices from inside the office. He stepped off the moving staircase and hesitated, listening. Dumbledore, I'm afraid I don't see the connection. I don't see it at all. It was the voice of the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge. Uh, Ludo says that uh, Bertha's perfectly capable of getting herself lost. I agree. Uh, we we should have expected to find her by now, but all the same we've got uh, no evidence of foul play, Dumbledore—none uh, at all. As for her disappearance being linked with Barty Crouch's—' "'And what do you think has happened to Barty Crouch, Minister?' said Moody's growling voice. "'Oh, I, I see uh, two possibilities, Alistair,' said Fudge. I, uh, "'Crouch has finally cracked. More, more than likely, I'm sure that you will agree, given his personal history, uh, lost lost his mind, and uh, gone wandering off somewhere.' "'He wondered extremely quickly, if that was the case, Cornelius,' said Dumbledore calmly. Or "'Else, uh, well—' Fudge sounded embarrassed. Well, I reserve judgment until after I've seen the place where he was found. But you—you say that it was past the Boberton carriage. Dumbledore, you—you you know what that woman is. I consider her to be a very able headmistress and an excellent dancer," said Dumbledore quietly. Uh, "Dumbledore, come," said Fudge angrily. Don't you think you might be prejudiced in favor of her because of Hagrid? They don't all turn out harmless, if indeed you can call Hagrid harmless with that monster fixation he's got. "'I no more suspect Madame Maxime than Hagrid,' said Dumbledore, just as calmly. "'I think it possible that it is you who has prejudiced Cornelius.' "'Can we wrap this discussion up?' growled Moody. Yes, 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 let's go down to the grounds then, said Fudge impatiently. No, it's not that, said Moody. Just that Potter wants a word with you, Dumbledore. He's just outside the door. That is the end of Chapter 29. Uh, I'm not gonna call it my smoothest stream ever. It's weird having this much stuff to focus on at once, because finally, you know, I'm I'm in a position where I can monitor my audio, but that means I'm monitoring my audio, which means my brain's doing one other extra thing. I also reset up my my uh, my like reading setup here. I don't know if it's working for me, but uh, as usual, we're going to innovate. We're going to persevere. Uh, we're going to do a great, great job. Is what we're going to do. We're going to try. All right. What's chat doing? chat up to I'm gonna check in with you guys and then as you are probably aware short break I need more water in my special invisible <laughs> invisible uh, uh, water bottle all right Jeff Miller says love it when Trelawney later says Harry doesn't have any skill at divination but did make a great target sort of like that old Chinese blessing I am not familiar with what you're referring to but uh, uh, as far as the old blessing goes, um, yeah, it is. Sh- Trelawney, Trelawney really would have gotten on my nerves um, when I was in school. I think I think uh, Hermione and I are probably fairly similar. I've never had a short a temper, um, but I was much less socially adept as well. Uh, Julia Rivard says, "Can someone clear up something for me? Why do so many people view divination as a joke?" Well. Okay. So this is something that is actually significant in the writing of it. Um, When you are trying to convey to your audience um, or to the reader, uh, how they are supposed to feel about something, the best way to do that, especially when it's a a very foreign concept, like this particular branch of magic within a very magical universe, um, best way to do it is to show other people's reactions. So we've seen, we've seen some moments with Dumbledore. He has obviously been uh, generous. Uh, We've seen some significant moments with McGonagall, who has been a little less generous and uh, we'll be actually hearing more from her on the subject. Um, But we've got these people that we trust and we hear their opinions on it and their opinions are skeptical. So I think that's sort of the, that's the the literary answer to that question. I think the other answer is that it's something that's so, I think generously you could call it imprecise. I think uh, People who are not interested in being generous and who are very critical of it would probably call it hogwash Um, But there are there are a lot of Beliefs who that fall kind of in this this middle category and I think because it's you know uh, This universe treats magic something a bit like science where it's something to be studied. It's something to be um, You know practiced and perfected not not necessarily um, it's not an art. You know what I mean? They, they, they treat magic as though it were a science. Some more than others, you know, Snape. Um, but there's this idea that there are, there are rules, um, there are specifics, there are ways that you can succeed and fail in magic. And then when it comes to divination, not so much. And you know, what we're seeing is generally from teachers. Let's go to the library, huh? We're in the, we're, we're in the wrong room. Let's go to the library. Um, but I think, uh, I th- you know, we're, we're dealing with mainly the opinions of teachers. And so these are people who have studied magic, uh, studied it in a very uh, precise and I imagine um, intentional sort of practiced way. And then I I think you take someone like that and put it up against, put them up against another individual who they are supposed to see as a peer. Um, but present them as someone who is kind of bumbling and unintentional and doesn't necessarily maintain the same rigorous uh, Expectations for themselves or for their art uh, or for their science or whatever you want to call it. I mean magic for their magic um, Then people are going to get frustrated it's, it's kind of it's it's very similar in any situation where you inject somebody new and inexperienced um, But they're supposed to be considered equal to the people who are there and experienced um, we're going to be learning a, 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 a bit more about Trelawney and her importance throughout all this, uh, later on in the series. So there's my long answer. I was about to say there's the short answer, but it wasn't short. Let's see. Oh, you even include some extra stuff. So let's read that, shall we? Um, yeah so Julia was asking like why do people view it as a joke and then followed that up with i mean you go to a school for magic but the class is what muggles associate with magic but the class which is what muggles associate with magic is a joke yeah i think uh imprecise is um maybe one of mcgonagall's more um more pressing concerns with it That was, I think, one of her major criticisms. And, you know, think about it less in terms of how does the wizarding world feel about it? Because, you know, obviously there are people like uh, Parvati Patil or, oh shoot, was it Padma or Parvati? I think it was Parvati Patil and Lavender Brown who are very enthusiastic about this. Um, And they, you know, they really try to guide their lives with it. Um, But it is one of those debated beliefs kind of things. Yeah, think about it less in terms of how does everyone feel about it? And more in terms, and this is just a good critical thinking skill. Um, when somebody's giving you their their hard and fast rules on something, consider whether or not that's true, and also consider uh, what is it about that person that might make them believe such a thing. And in the case of McGonagall, we know she's very much about precision. This is one of the things she criticizes a lot Um, in her classes. She very much uh, gives an air of precision in the way that she dresses, in the way that she behaves. And so, yeah, we see precision from her a lot. And when somebody else just doesn't bother with precision or pursues something that has no real interest in precision, I think it probably frustrates her because she's supposed to see this other woman as an equal. All right. Maria says, it's not precise and you kind of have to be born with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. Okay, I think that's what it's mostly been about down here, huh? Not precise. Uh, General says, I don't mean that Harry Potter is cheap. I'm just, ah, words are hard. I've been hyper fixating on carry-on so much that Harry Potter in comparison seems like kind of a knockoff. It's a little jarring. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. I'm not familiar with this, but I think it's time for a break, huh? I'm going to take a break. I'll see y'all in about eh, about five minutes. Um, I'm going to uh, refill my water, and then when we come back, I'll talk about anything that's popped up in chat. Beans, beans, because beans are important. Beans are important. Clearly, you goons. I'll be back in a sec. Keep talking amongst yourselves. And we're back. Hello there. Hello. Welcome. Um <laughs> I get real I get real like uh Mr. Rogers, don't I? What do y'all been doing in chat? Julia when thirteen sit, the first to rise, she'll be the first to die. Yeah, that old thing. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to think Trelawney's almost gleeful when bad things happen to any but her devotees. Here's issues, Hagrid, Buckbeak. Yeah, it seems, uh, she, and it's, it's like, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a smugness. Or if you're a big fan of The Office, it's a smudgeness. Um, yeah, just about the idea that some part of some thing that she might have said, no matter how, uh, imprecisely. Came about somehow. Um, Julie says, "I think she's happy whenever something bad happens because that's how our brand of magic works." Yeah. Jeff Miller says, "Buckbeak. I should put my glasses on before typing. Plus, her classes seem to often include doom of various degrees and all kinds befalling her students." Julia says, "I mean, I think divination works best with strong emotions, right?" Jeff says, well, she's supposed to predict the future, but never seems to predict anything good. So maybe she focuses more on negative vibes, which messes her up. Is that a thing? Uh, Maria says, also, I think most of her predictions came true, just not the way people expected them to. Just like what she said on, uh, on Christmas in book three. I'm hoping there are sometimes moments of happiness, joy, and excitement. and maria says the books keep getting darker and darker yeah it does seem like it goes that way doesn't it um they get uh they get much more adult as the series goes on which i think is fantastic i think it's wonderful that they start to cover uh you know more good grief calm down um more adult things more adult themes they don't just stick with one sort of level of uh um Says Toy Story did it first, but she says it. Toy Story did it first. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to watch growth. I think it's important, especially when you're tracking people through this much time. All right. I'm going to come back to chat, but uh, how y'all feel about some beans right now? The The camera's right there. Oh, I got you. All right. All right. We're doing it. I'm doing one at a time. I think. I mean, if y'all suddenly jump in and say, do them all at once, then I'll do them at once. But I think I think we get more bang for our buck if I do them one at a time. Because if I have some sort of strawberry to sort of dampen the flavor of my, my sausage bean, then I'm in trouble. He owes you guys like 50 beans. Shh, don't listen to her. So we're going to do three at a time. My plan when I came back was just to shotgun all the rest of these. Um, because I think, oh, who was it? I don't remember who it was. Mr. Kadolf, perhaps? I don't remember. But uh, Was it Luke? It might have been Luke. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway. Alright. Okay, we're doing letter. it. One, two three, you first? Um absolutely two. Absolutely. Huh? Yep. All right, close your eyes. Number two first. Alright, let's do this. All right, all right. Just tell me, chat. Was it brown? Tell me it wasn't brown and spotty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm getting green peppers. So that means it's earthworm again, huh? Yep. By the way, you guys, uh, earthworms don't taste terribly, terribly, terribly bad. um one number one two one three is the only way to do things there is but one way to fly hold on let me clear the slate ashling i was thinking something like that i was just gonna down the rest of this box but i'm on this i'm on this diet now which the calories aren't even the problem it's the carbs ah i'm gonna keep doing it though i am all right Go for it. Oh, it's still not there. I can't do it. Okay. Ah. Oh man. Can you hear click my teeth? How's that for a sound? Yeah, and then you close your teeth. DJ, welcome back. Mmm. It's a mint, but it's like a bad mint. Toothpaste? Is it clean? <laughs> Cass just goes, perhaps you could say it's clean. And I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> Is it soap? Okay. All right. Yeah, it, I gave you a good hint. It was <laughs> a good hint. Yeah. it's a good hint. But uh, as usual, I am terrible at this. So I don't know what you can expect from me. Uh, was it green? No, it was blue. Blue. Okay. All right, last one for the night. I'm gonna find something else to do in addition to this because each one of these is roughly a carb, and I'm, I have to stay under 20 carbs in a in a whole day. So, yeah, be fine. some fear cheese. Some fear cheese. I'm ready. Let's do this. Again, are you guys loving just the like weird ASMR? Oh, I didn't realize I can do. (laughs) How's this for actual ASMR? That's right. You can hear me chewing in your left ear, and then in your right ear. This is content right here. Well, look, at least it wasn't sausage. It's real bad, whatever it is. Sure it is it vom? Sausage. It's not sausage. Okay. Definitely not sausage. Okay. Then I don't know what it was. Hmm. I have. I. I would. I would. <laughs> I would be losing it if this were sausage again, because it was really bad, and I don't want to. Again, the the like the, the initial parshaven? taste isn't. It's definitely. Not, it's not a good one. Then it's sausage. It's not sausage. Because hey, the sausage one was lasting and awful. Forever, I <sighs> it wasn't a good one. All right. Say thank you to my lovely assistant. <laughs> there she is. There she is. That's the, and that is the magic, folks. That's the magic right there. That's the re, that's the true magic. The true magic is it friendship? What? Is it love? What? No. What? It's it's having it's having a teacher. It's having a uh it's having someone really teach you a lesson with beans. Having somebody really teach you a lesson with beans (laughs) all right no we're doing ASMR for the remainder there we're all it's always gonna be ASMR now just I'm just gonna be going back and forth I don't even know if this does anything for you guys and before you answer that general no that's not what I mean I don't even know if, if it functions for you guys all right Ashling says, "Got a pad I got a bad palate, Sam. I do, I do indeed. Of course, now we're we're dealing with Birdie Bot's every flavor beans. We're dealing with magic beans here. There's no sense that this is necessarily a. Again, let's get back into the precision, huh? These are maybe not the uh, maybe, maybe not one to one recreations of the flavors that are involved. I don't mind sausage. Uh, this, however, this sort of monstrosity, this this small lozenge." Lostrosity. It's not a sausage, it's not what it is. Lostrosity. I've said it, it's too late. Michaela says, What did you eat right before the sausage last time? Maybe it was a bad combo. I mean I I did it between chapters, so I ate words. I ate JK Rowling words. I didn't eat nothing. And typically before a stream I don't eat a ton, I just I just hydrate mm. <laughs> uh what flavor bean okay that no okay, so no that, that that does make sense i don't remember which one i i do think it i don't think it was the first one that i ate that, that night um so i don't know also ashling right before i got up for break i saw something in there uh i saw i saw you get you got very scotch for a second where else are we at? What else did I miss in chat? Lots of hints and spoilers, says Ashling. Yep. Uh, trying to suss out what I can say without actually spoiling. Thank you for making the effort. Um. <laughs> they are very subtle. Uh, general I am interested in hearing more about carry on at the end if possible can we do that because I do want to make sure because I've tried to do editing with these videos and uh, you know edit out the the middle section and and do long versions and short versions of this so that people have an easier time just sort of reading through the chapter but it's uh, challenging the the YouTube editing system is clunky and again that's one of those generous assessments so I'm I I can't do that and so I want to I want to get through this but but we'll come back Ashley says just be glad there's not a haggis flavor bean I actually don't know what haggis tastes like but I imagine it's not altogether terrible I mean it's a lot of um, uh, let's see I believe the term is awful Um, awful but not awful Ah, gotcha. very popular so it's gotta be some reason people like it I haven't seen anything in there that makes me think like that flavor must be awful a couple of things that aren't standard but uh i don't know all right general says okay but just so you know don't have discord i uh yeah i I mean after the after the next chapter talk about it talk about it in chat all right oh boy all right let's move on shall we as usual got anything you want to talk about, go ahead and put it in chat. Uh, meanwhile, I'm gonna be trying to deal with my new setup and how I massively overestimated what I'd be able to concentrate on on this massive board of text here. It's a good night. It's a good night. Let's do this. Chapter 30. The Pensive. The door of the office opened. Hello, Potter, said Moody. Come in, then. Harry walked inside. He had been inside Dumbledore's office once before. It was a very beautiful, circular room, lined with pictures of previous headmasters and headmistresses of Hogwarts, all of whom were fast asleep, their chests rising and falling gently. Cornelius Fudge was standing behind Dumbledore's desk. Wearing his usual pinstriped cloak and holding his lime green bowler hat. Uh, Harry, said Fudge jovially, moving forward. Boy, I really laid into it there, didn't I? Uh, how are you? I'm fine, Harry lied. We were just talking about uh, the night when uh, Mr. Crouch turned up on the grounds, said Fudge. It was you who found him, was it not? Yes, said Harry. Then, feeling it was pointless to pretend he hadn't overheard what they had been saying, he added, ''I didn't see Madame Maxime anywhere, though, and she'd have a good job hiding, wouldn't she?'' Dumbledore smiled at Harry behind Fudge's back, his eyes twinkling. Uh, ''Yes, uh, well,'' said Fudge, looking embarrassed, ''we're about to go for a short walk on the grounds, Harry, if if, uh, you'll excuse us. Uh, Perhaps you'll just go back to your class?'' I wanted to talk to you, Professor, Harry said quickly, looking at Dumbledore, who gave him a swift searching look. Wait here for me, Harry, he said. Our examination of the grounds will not take long. They trooped out in silence past him and closed the door. After a minute or so, Harry heard the clunks of Moody's wooden leg. growing fainter in the corridor below. He looked around. Hello, folks, he said. Fox, Professor Dumbledore's phoenix, was standing on his golden perch beside the door. The size of a swan with magnificent scarlet and gold plumage, he swished his long tail and blinked benignly at Harry. Harry sat down in a chair in front of Dumbledore's desk. For several minutes, he sat and watched the old headmasters and headmistresses snoozing in their frames, thinking about what he had just heard and running his fingers over his scar. It had stopped hurting now. He felt much calmer somehow, now that he was in Dumbledore's office, knowing that he would shortly be telling him about the dream. Harry looked up at the walls behind the desk The patched and ragged sorting hat was standing on a shelf. A glass case next to it held a magnificent silver sword with large rubies set into the hilt, which Harry recognized as the one he himself had pulled out of the sorting hat in his second year. The sword had once belonged to Godric Gryffindor, founder of Harry's house. He was gazing at it remembering how it had come to his aid when he had thought all hope was lost when he had noticed a patch of silvery light dancing and shimmering on a glass case he looked around for the source of the light and saw a silver and mm, saw a sliver of silver white shining brightly from within a black cabinet above him he looked around for the source of the light and saw a silver a sliver of silver white shining brightly from a, within a black cabinet behind him whose door had not been closed properly. Harry hesitated, glanced at Fox, then got up, walked across the office, and pulled open the cabinet door. A shallow stone basin lay there, with odd carvings around the edge, runes and symbols that Harry did not recognize. The silvery light was coming from the basin's contents, which were like nothing Harry had ever seen before. He could not tell whether the substance was liquid or gas. It was bright, whitish silver, and it was moving ceaselessly. The surface of it had become ruffled like water beneath the wind, and then, like clouds, separated and swirled smoothly. It looked like light made liquid, or like wind made solid. Harry couldn't make up his mind. He wanted to touch it to find out what it felt like, but nearly four years of experience in the magical world told him that sticking his hand into a bowl full of some unknown substance was a very stupid thing to do. He therefore pulled his wand out of the inside of his robes, cast a nervous look around the office, looked back at the contents of the basin, and prodded them. The surface of the silvery stuff inside the basin began to swirl very fast. Harry bent closer, his head right inside the cabinet, The silvery substance had become transparent. It looked like glass. He looked down into it, expecting to see the stone bottom of the basin, and saw instead an enormous room below the surface of the mysterious substance, a room into which he seemed to be looking down into through a circular window in the ceiling. The room was dimly lit. He thought it might even be underground, for there were no windows merely torches in the brackets, such as the ones that illuminated the walls of Hogwarts. Lowering his face so that his nose was a mere inch away from the glassy surface, Harry saw that rows and rows of witches and wizards were seated all around the wall, on what seemed to be benches rising in levels. An empty chair stood in the very center of the room. There was something about the chair that gave Harry an ominous feeling chains encircled the arms of it as though its occupants were usually tied to it. Where was this place? It certainly wasn't Hogwarts. He had never seen a room like that, and you were here in the castle. Moreover, the crowd in the mysterious room at the bottom of the basin were comprised of adults, and Harry knew there were not nearly that many teachers at Hogwarts. They seemed, he thought, to be waiting for something. Even though he could only see the tops of their hats, all of their faces seemed to be pointing in one direction, and none of them were talking to one another. The basin being circular, and the room he was observing square, Harry could not make out what was going on in the corners of it. He leaned even closer, tilting his head, trying to see. The tip of his nose touched the strange substance into which he was staring. Dumbledore's office gave an almighty lurch. Harry was thrown forward and pitched headfirst into the substance inside the basin. But his head did not hit the stone bottom. He was falling through something icy, cold, and black. It was like being sucked into a dark whirlpool. And suddenly, Harry found himself sitting in a bench at the end of the room inside the basin. A bench rising high above the others. He looked up at the high stone ceiling. Ceiling, expecting to see the circular window through which he had just been staring, but there was nothing there but dark, solid stone. Kate, welcome. Breathing hard and fast, Harry looked around him. Not one of the witches and wizards in the room, and there were at least 200 of them, was looking at him. None of them seemed to notice that a 14-year-old boy had just dropped from the ceiling into their midst. Harry turned to the wizard next to him on the bench and uttered a loud cry of surprise that reverberated around the silent room. He was sitting right next to Albus Dumbledore. Professor! Harry said in a kind of strangled whisper. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to. I was looking into that basin in your cabinet. I... where are we? But Dumbledore didn't move or speak. He ignored Harry completely. Like every other wizard on the benches, he was staring into the far corner of the room where there was a door. Harry gazed, nonplussed, at Dumbledore, then around at the silently watchful crowd, then back at Dumbledore. And then it dawned on him. Once before, Harry had found himself somewhere that nobody could see or hear him. That time he had fallen through a page in an enchanted diary, right into somebody else's memory, and unless he was very much mistaken, something of the sort had happened again. Harry raised his right hand, hesitated, and then waved it energetically in front of Dumbledore's face. Dumbledore did not blink. Look around at Harry, or indeed move at all. And that, in Harry's opinion, settled the matter. Dumbledore wouldn't ignore him like that. He was inside a memory. And this was not the present-day Dumbledore. Yet, couldn't be that long ago. The Dumbledore sitting next to him was silver-haired, just like the present-day Dumbledore. But what was this place? What were all these wizards waiting for? Harry looked around more carefully. The room, as he had suspected when observing it from above, was almost certainly underground. More of a dungeon than a room, he thought. There was a bleak and forbidding air about the place. There were no pictures on the walls, no decorations at all, just these serried rows of benches, rising in levels all around the room, all positioned so that they had a clear view of that chair with the chains on its arms. Before Harry could reach any conclusion about the place in which they were, he heard footsteps. The door in the corner of the dungeon opened and three people entered, or at least one man flanked by two Dementors. Harry's insides went cold. The Dementors, tall, hooded creatures whose faces were concealed, were gliding slowly toward the chair in the center of the room, each grasping one of the man's arms with their dead and rotten-looking hands. The man between them looked as though he were about to faint, and Harry couldn't blame him. He knew the Dementors could not touch him inside a memory, but he remembered their power only too well. The watching crowd recoiled slightly as the Dementors placed the man in the chained chair and glided back out of the room. The door swung shut behind them. Harry looked down at the man now sitting in the chair and saw that it was Karkaroff. Unlike Dumbledore, Karkaroff looked much younger. His hair and goatee were black. He was not dressed in sleek furs but in thin and ragged robes. He was shaking. Even as Harry watched, the chains on the arms of the chair glowed suddenly gold and snaked their way up Karkaroff's arms, binding him there. Igor Karkaroff, said a curt voice to Harry's left. Harry looked around and saw Mr. Crouch standing in the middle of the bench beside him. Crouch's hair was dark. His face was much less lined. He looked fit and alert. You've been brought from Azkaban to present evidence to the Ministry of Magic. You have given us to understand that you have important information for us." Garkaroff straightened himself as best he could, tightly bound to the chair. "'I have, sir,' he said, and although his voice was very scared, Harry could still hear the familiar unctuous note in it. "'I wish to be of use to the Ministry. I wish to help. I I know that the Ministry is trying to to round up the last of the Dark Lord's supporters. I'm eager to assist in any way that I can." There was a murmur around the benches. Some of the wizards and witches were surveying Karkarov with interest, others with pronounced mistrust. Then Harry heard, quite distinctly, from Dumbledore's other side, a familiar growling voice saying, Filth! Harry leaned forward so he could see past Dumbledore. Mad-Eye Moody was sitting there, except there was a very noticeable difference in his appearance. He did not have his magical eye, but two normal ones. Both were looking down upon Karkaroff, and both were narrowed with an intense dislike. Crouch is going to let him out! Moody breathed quietly to Dumbledore. He's done a deal with him. Took me six months to track him down, and Crouch is gonna let him go if he's got enough new names. Let's try to hear the information, I say, and throw him straight back to the Dementors." Dumbledore made a small noise of dissent through his long, crooked nose. Ah, I was forgetting. You don't like the Dementors, do you, Albus? Said Moody with a sardonic smile. "'No,' said Dumbledore calmly. "'I'm afraid I don't. "'I have long felt that the Ministry is wrong to ally itself with such creatures. "'But for filth like this,' Moody said softly. "'You say that you have names for us, Karkaroff?' said Mr. Crouch. "'Let us hear them, please.' "'You must understand,' said Karkaroff hurriedly that he who must not be named operated always in the greatest secrecy. He preferred that we, I mean to say, his supporters, and I regret now very deeply that I ever counted myself among them. Get on with it, sneered Moody. We never knew the names of every one of our fellows. He alone knew exactly who we all were. Which was a wise move, wasn't it? As it prevented someone like you, Karkaroff, from turning all of them in, muttered Moody. Yet you say that you have some names for us, said Mr. Crouch. I I do, said Karkaroff breathlessly. All these were important supporters, Mark you, people I saw with my own eyes doing his bidding. I give this information as a sign that I fully and totally renounce him, and I'm filled with remorse so deep I can barely. The names are, said Mr. Crouch sharply. Kalkaroff drew a deep breath. There was Antonin Dolohov, he said. I I saw him torture countless muggles and and non-supporters of the Dark Lord. And helped him do it, murmured Moody. "'We've already apprehended Dolohov,' said Crouch. "'He was caught shortly after yourself.' "'Indeed,' said Carcroft, his eyes widening. "'I I am delighted to hear it.' But he didn't look it. There could tell that this news had come as a real blow to him. One of his names was worthless. "'Any others?' Said Crouch coldly. Why, yes, there was Rosier, said Carcroft hurriedly. Evan Rosier! Rosier is dead, said Crouch. He was caught shortly after you were, too. He preferred to fight rather than come quietly and was killed in the struggle. Took a bit of me with him, though, whispered Moody to Harry's right. Harry looked around at him once more and saw him indicating a large chunk out of his nose to Dumbledore. No, no more than Rosier deserved, said Karkaroff, a real note of panic in his voice now. Harry could see that he was starting to worry that none of his information would be of any use to the Ministry. Karkaroff's eyes darted toward the door in the corner, behind which the Dementors undoubtedly still stood, waiting. Any more, said Crouch. Yes, said Carcroft. there was Travers. He helped murder the MacKinnons. Malsiber, he specialized in the imperious Curse, forced countless people to do horrific things. Uh, Rookwood, uh, Rookwood, who was a spy, he passed, he who must not be named, useful information from inside the Ministry itself. Eric could tell that this time Carcroft had struck gold. The watching crowd was all murmuring together. "'Rookwood,' said Mr. Crouch, nodding to a witch in front of him who began scribbling upon her piece of parchment. "'Augustus Rookwood of the Department of Magical Mysteries.' Oh, excuse me, it's just the the Department of Mysteries. Oops. "'The very same,' said Carcroft eagerly. "'I believe he used a network of well-placed wizards both inside the Ministry and out to collect information.' But Travers and Malcibo we have, said Mr. Crouch. Very well, Karkaroff, Is that is all, you will be returned to Azkaban while we decide. Not yet, cried Karkaroff, looking quite desperate. Wait, I have more. Here we could see him sweating in the torchlight, his white skin contrasting strongly with the black of his hair and beard. (laughs) Snape, he shouted. Severus Snape! "'Snape has been cleared by this council,' said Crouch disdainfully. "'He has been vouched for by Albus Dumbledore.' "'No!' shouted Karkaroth, straining at the chains that bound him to the chair. "'I assure you, Severus Snape is a Death Eater.' Dumbledore had gotten to his feet. "'I have given evidence already on this matter,' he said calmly. "'Severus Snape was indeed a Death Eater.' However, he rejoined our side before Lord Voldemort's downfall, and turned spy for us, at great personal risk. He is now no more a Death Eater than I am." Harry turned to look at Mad-Eye Moody. He was looking at deep—he was wearing a look of deep skepticism behind Dumbledore's back. "'Very well, Karkaroff,' Crouch said coldly. "'You have been of assistance. I shall review your case. You will return to Azkaban in the meantime." Mr. Crouch's voice faded. Harry looked around. The dungeon was dissolving as though it were made of smoke. Everything was fading. He could see only his own body. All else was swirling darkness. And then the dungeon returned. Harry was sitting in a different seat still on the highest bench, but now to the left side of Mr. Crouch. The atmosphere seemed quite different, relaxed, even cheerful. The witches and wizards all around the walls were talking to one another, almost as though they were at some sort of sporting event. Harry noticed a witch halfway up the rows of benches opposite. She had short blonde hair, was wearing magenta robes, and was sucking on the end of an acid green quill. It was, unmistakably, a young Rita Skeeter. Harry looked around. Dumbledore was sitting beside him again, wearing different robes. Mr. Crouch looked more tired and somehow fiercer, gaunter. Harry understood. It was a different memory, a different day, a different trial. The door in the corner opened and Ludo Bagman walked into the room. This was not, however, a Ludo Bagman gone to seed, but a Ludo Bagman who was clearly at the height of his Quidditch-playing fitness. His nose wasn't broken now. He was tall and lean and muscular. Bagman looked nervous as he sat down in the chained chair, but it did not bind him as it had bound Karkaroff. And Bagman, perhaps taking heart from this, glanced around at the watching crowd, waved at a couple of them, and managed a small smile. ''Ludo Bagman, you've been brought here in front of the Council of Magical Law to answer to charges relating to the activities of the Death Eaters,'' said Mr. Crouch. ''We have heard the evidence against you, and you are about to reach our verdict. Mm. And we are about to reach our verdict. Do you have anything to add to your testimony before we pronounce judgment?'' Harry couldn't believe his ears. ''Ludo Bagman, a Death Eater?'' ''Well, only,'' said Bagman, smiling awkwardly, ''I... I know I've been a bit of an idiot.'' (laughs) One or two of the witches and wizards in the surrounding seats smiled indulgently. Mr. Crouch did not appear to share their feelings. He was staring down at Ludo Bagman with an expression of the utmost severity and dislike. ''You never spoke a truer word, boy,'' someone muttered dryly to Dumbledore behind Harry. He looked around and saw Moody sitting there again. If I hadn't known he'd always been dim, I'd have thought some of those bludgers had permanently affected his brain. Ludovic Bagman, you were caught passing information to Lord Voldemort's supporters, said Mr. Crouch. For this I suggest a term of imprisonment in Azkaban lasting no less (coughs) than— But there was an angry outcry from the surrounding benches. Several of the witches and wizards around the walls stood up, shaking their heads, and even their fists, at Mr. Crouch. But I, I told you I, I had no idea, Bagman called earnestly over the crowd's babble, his round eyes widening. None at all. <laughs> Alright, so these voices are murdering my voice. Anytime Bagman is in a room with Crouch, uh, I will be right back. I apologize. I gotta get more water. Oh boy. Bartimaeus Crouch is the worst. Let's see, where were we? But there was an angry outcry from the surrounding benches. Several of the witches and wizards around the walls stood up, shaking their heads and even their fists at Mr. Crouch. But I I told you, I had no idea! Bagman called earnestly over the crowd's babble, his round eyes widening. None at all. Old Rookwood was a friend of my dad's. Never crossed my mind he was in with you-know-who. Thought I was collecting information for our side. And... Rookwood kept talking about getting me a job at the Ministry later on once my Quidditch days are over, you know? I mean... I can't keep hitting... bludgers for the rest of my life, can I? There were titters from the crowd. And will we put to a vote. Said Mr. Crouch coldly. He returned to the right-hand side of the dungeon. The jury will please raise their hands, those in favor of imprisonment. Harry looked toward the right-hand side of the dungeon. Not one person raised their hand. Many of the witches and wizards around the walls began to clap. One of the witches on the jury stood up. Yes! barked Crouch. We'd just like to congratulate Mr. Bagman on his splendid performance for England in the Quidditch match against Turkey last Saturday, the witch said breathlessly. Mr. Crouch looked furious. The dungeon was ringing with applause now. Bagman got to his feet and bowed, beaming. Despicable! Mr. Crouch spat at Dumbledore, sitting down as Bagman walked out of the dungeon. Rook could get him a job, indeed. The day Ludo Bagman joins us will be a sad day indeed for the Ministry." And the dungeon dissolved again. When it had returned, Harry looked around. He and Dumbledore were still sitting beside Mr. Crouch, but the atmosphere could not have been more different. There was total silence, broken only by the dry sobs of a frail, wispy-looking witch in the seat next to Mr. Crouch. She was clutching a handkerchief to her mouth with trembling hands. Harry looked up at Crouch and saw that he was gaunter and grayer than ever before. A nerve was twitching in his temple. Bring them in, he said, and his voice echoed through the silent dungeon. The door in the corner opened yet again. Six Dementors entered this time flanking a group of four people. Harry saw the people in the crowd turn to look up at Mr. Crouch. A few of them whispered to one another. The Dementors placed each of the four people in the four chairs with chained arms that now stood on the dungeon floor. There was a thick-set man who stared blankly up at Crouch, a thinner and more nervous-looking man whose eyes were darting around the crowd, A woman with thick, shining hair and heavily hooded eyes, who was sitting in the chained chair as though it were a throne. And a boy in his late teens, who looked nothing short of petrified. He was shivering, his straw-colored hair all over his face, his freckled skin milk-white. The wispy little witch beside Crouch began to rock backward and forward in her seat, whimpering into her handkerchief. Crouch stood up. He looked down upon the four in front of him, and there was pure hatred in his face. "'You have been brought here before the Council of Magical Law,' he said clearly, "'so that we may pass judgment on you for a crime so heinous.' "'Father,' said the boy with the straw-colored hair, "'Father, please!' "'And we have rarely heard the like of it within this court.' said Crouch, speaking more loudly, drowning out his son's voice. "'We have heard the evidence against you. The four of you stand accused of capturing in aura, Frank Longbottom and subjecting him to the Cruciatus Curse, believing him to have knowledge of the present whereabouts of your exiled master, he who must not be named.' "'Father, I didn't,' shrieked the boy in chains below. "'I didn't, I swear it, Father, don't send me back to the Dementors.' "'You are further accused,' bellowed Mr. Crouch, "'of using the Cruciata's curse on Frank Longbottom's wife "'when he would not give you information. "'You planned to restore he who must not be named to power "'and to resume the lives of violence you presumably led while he was strong. "'I now ask the jury.' "'Mother!' screamed the boy below, "'and the wispy little witch beside Crouch began to sob, "'rocking backward and forward.' "'Mother, stop him! Mother, I didn't do it! It wasn't me!' "'I now ask the jury,' shouted Mr. Crouch, "'to raise their hands if they believe, as I do, "'that these crimes deserve a life sentence in Azkaban!' In unison, the witches and wizards along the right-hand side of the dungeon raised their hands. The crowd around the walls began to clap, as it did for Bagman, their faces full of savage triumph. The boy began to scream. No, mother, no, I didn't do it, I, I didn't do it, I didn't know, don't send me there, don't let him! The Dementors were gliding back into the room. The boy's three companions rose from their seats. The woman with the heavily lidded eyes looked up at Crouch and called, The Dark Lord will rise again, Crouch! Throw us into Azkaban, we will wait. He will rise again and will come for us. He will reward us beyond any of his other supporters. We alone were faithful. We alone tried to find him. But the boy was trying to fight off the Dementors, even though Harry could see their cold, draining power starting to affect him. The crowd was jeering, some of them on their feet, as the woman swept out of the dungeon and the boy continued to struggle. I'm your son, he screamed up at Crouch. I'm your son! You are no son of mine, bellowed Mr. Crouch, his eyes bulging suddenly. I have no son. The wispy witch beside him gave a great gasp and slumped in her seat. She had fainted. Crouch appeared not to have noticed. Take them away, Crouch roared at the Dementors, spit flying from his mouth. Take them away, and may they rot there. Father, father, I wasn't involved. No, father, please. I think, Harry, it is time to return to my office, said a quiet voice in Harry's ear. Harry started. He looked around. Then he looked on his other side. There was an Albus Dumbledore sitting on his right, watching Crouch's son being dragged away by the Dementors and there was an Albus Dumbledore on his left, looking right at him. Come, said Dumbledore on his left, and he put his hand under Harry's elbow. Harry felt himself rising into the air. The dungeon dissolved around him. For a moment, all was blackness, and then he felt as though he had done a slow-motion somersault, landing suddenly flat on his feet in what seemed like the dazzling light of Dumbledore's sunlit office. The stone basin was shimmering in the cabinet in front of him, and Albus Dumbledore was standing beside him. Professor, Harry gasped, I I know I shouldn't have, I I didn't mean, the cabinet door was sort of open and I, I quite understand, said Dumbledore. He lifted the basin, carried it over to the desk, placed it upon the polished top, and sat down in the chair behind it. He motioned for Harry to sit down opposite him. As Harry did so, staring at the stone basin, the contents returned to their original silvery-white state, swirling and rippling beneath his gaze. What is it? Harry asked shakily. This, it is called a pensive, said Dumbledore. I sometimes find, as I am sure that you know the feeling, that I sometimes simply have too many memories, and thoughts crammed into my mind." Uh, said Harry, who truthfully couldn't say that he had ever felt anything of the sort. "'At these times,' said Dumbledore, indicating the stone basin, "'I use the pensive. One simply siphons the excess thoughts from one's mind, pours them into the basin, and examines them at one's leisure. "'It becomes easier to spot patterns and links, you understand, when they are in this form.' "'You mean that stuff is your thoughts,' Harry said, staring at the swirling white substance in the basin. "'Certainly,' said Dumbledore. "'Let me show you.' Dumbledore drew his wand out of the inside of his robes and placed the tip into his own silvery hair near his temple. When he took the wand away, hair seemed to be clinging to it, but-then Harry saw that it was in fact a glistening strand of the same strange silvery-white substance that filled the pensive. Dumbledore added this fresh thought to the basin, and Harry, astonished, saw his own face swimming around in the suff swimming around in the sur- surface of the bowl. <laughs> Dumbledore placed his long hands on either side of the pensive and swirled it rather. As a gold prospector would pan for fragments of gold. And Harry saw his own face change smoothly into Snape's, who opened his mouth and spoke to the ceiling, his voice echoing slightly. It's coming back. Karkaross II, stronger and clearer than ever. A connection I could not have made without assistance, Dumbledore sighed. But never mind. He peered over the top of his half-moon spectacles at Harry, who was still gaping at Snape's face, which was continuing to swirl around the ball. "'I was using the pensive when Mr. Fudge arrived for our meeting, and put it away rather hastily. Undoubtedly, I did not fasten the cabinet at all properly. Naturally, it would have attracted your attention.' "'I'm sorry,' Harry mumbled." Dumbledore shook his head. Curiosity is not a sin, he said, but we should exercise caution with our curiosity. Yes, indeed. Frowning slightly, he prodded the thoughts within the basin with the tip of his wand. Instantly a figure rose out of it, a plump, scowling girl of about sixteen, who began to revolve slowly, with her feet still in the basin. She took no notice whatsoever of Harry or Professor Dumbledore. When she spoke, her voice echoed as Snape's had done, as though it was coming from the depths of the stone basin. "'He puts a hex on me, Professor Dumbledore, and I was only teasing him, sir. I said I'd seen them kissing Florence behind the greenhouses last Thursday.' "'But why Bertha?' said Dumbledore sadly, looking up at the now silently revolving girl. Why did you have to follow him in the first place?" "'Bertha?' Harry whispered, looking up at her. "'Is that—was that Bertha Jorkins? "'Yes,' said Dumbledore, prouting the thoughts in the basin again. Bertha sank back into them, and they became silvery and opaque once more. "'That was Bertha as I remember her at school.' The silvery light from the pensive illuminated Dumbledore's face, and it struck Harry suddenly how very old he was looking. He knew, of course, that Dumbledore was getting on in years, but somehow he never really thought of Dumbledore as an old man. So, Harry, said Dumbledore quietly, before you got lost in my thoughts, you wanted to tell me something. ''Yes,'' said Harry. ''Professor, I was in divination just now, and, uh, I fell asleep.'' He hesitated here, wondering if a reprimand was coming, but Dumbledore merely said, ''Quite understandable. Continue.'' ''Well, I had a dream,'' said Harry. ''A dream about Lord Voldemort. He was torturing Wormtail.'' ''You know who Wormtail?'' ''I do know,'' said Dumbledore promptly. ''Please continue.'' Voldemort got a letter from an owl. He said something like Wormtail's blunder had been repaired. He said that someone was dead. And then he said Wormtail wouldn't be fed to the snake. There was a snake beside his chair. He said he'd be feeding me to it instead. Then he did the Cruciatus Curse on Wormtail. And my scar hurt, he said. It woke me up. It hurt so badly. Dumbledore merely looked at him. And that's all, said Harry. I see, said Dumbledore quietly. I see. Now, has your scar hurt at any other time this year, excepting the time that it woke you up over the summer? No, I. How did you know that it woke me up over the summer? said Harry, astonished. You are not Sirius's only correspondent, said Dumbledore. I have also been in contact with him ever since he left Hogwarts last year. It was I who suggested the mountainside cave as the safest place for him to stay." Doubledore got up and began walking up and down beside his desk. Every now and then he placed his wand tip to his temple, removed another shining thought, and added it to the pensive. The thoughts inside began to swirl so fast that Harry couldn't make out anything clearly. It was merely a blur of color. "'Professor?' he said quietly, after a couple of minutes. Professor Dumbledore stopped pacing and looked at Harry. "'My apologies,' he said quietly. He sat back down at his desk. "'Do you... do you know why my scar is hurting me?' Dumbledore looked very intently at Harry for a moment, and then said, "'I have a theory. No more than that. "'It is my belief that your scar hurts when both Lord Voldemort is near you, "'and when he is feeling a particularly strong surge of hatred.' "'But why?' "'Because you and he are connected by the curse that failed,' said Dumbledore. That is no ordinary scar. So you think that dream, did it really happen?" "'It is possible,' said Dumbledore. "'I would say, probable. Harry, did you see Voldemort?' "'No,' said Harry. "'Just the back of his chair, but there wouldn't have been anything to see, would there? I mean, he hasn't got a body, has he?' But then how could he have held the wand? Harry said slowly. How indeed, muttered Dumbledore. How indeed. Neither Dumbledore nor Harry spoke for a while. Dumbledore was gazing across the room and every now and then placing his wand tip to his temple and adding another shining silver thought to the seething mass within the pensive. Professor? Professor? Harry said at last. Do you think he's getting stronger? Voldemort, said Dumbledore, looking at Harry over the pensive. It was the characteristic piercing look Dumbledore had given him on other occasions, and always made Harry feel as though Dumbledore were seeing right through him in a way that even Moody's magical eye could not. Once again, Harry, I can only give my suspicions... Dumbledore sighed again, and he looked older and wearier than ever. "'The years of Voldemort's ascent to power,' he said, "'were marked with disappearances. Bertha Jorkins has vanished without a trace in the place where Voldemort was certainly known to be last. Mr. Crouch, too, has disappeared within these very grounds.' And there was a third disappearance, one which the Ministry, I regret to say, did not consider of any importance, for it concerns a Muggle. His name was Frank Bryce. He lived in the village where Voldemort's father grew up, and he has not been seen since last August. You see, I read the Muggle newspapers unlike most of my Ministry friends. Dumbledore looked very seriously at Harry. These disappearances seem to be linked. The Ministry disagrees, as you may have heard while waiting outside of my office." Harry nodded. Silence fell between them again, Dumbledore extracting thoughts every now and then. Harry felt as though he ought to go, but his curiosity held him in his chair. "'Professor?' he said again. "'Yes, Harry,' said Dumbledore. Uh, Can I ask you about that court thing I was in, in the pensive?' "'You could,' said Dumbledore heavily. "'I attended it many times. "'But some trials come back to me more clearly than others, particularly now.' "'You know, you know the trial you found me in? "'The one with Crouch's son? "'Well, were they talking about Neville's parents?' Dumbledore gave Harry a very sharp look. "'Has Neville never told you why he has been brought up by his grandmother?' he said. Harry shook his head, wondering, as he did so, how he could have failed to ask Neville this in almost four years of knowing him. "'Yes, they were talking about Neville's parents,' said Dumbledore. "'His father, Frank, was in horror just like Professor Moody.' He and his wife were tortured for information about Voldemort's whereabouts after he lost his powers, as you heard. So, they're dead, said Harry quietly. No, said Dumbledore, his voice full of a bitterness Harry had never heard there before. They are insane. They are both in St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. I believe Neville visits them with his grandmother during the holidays. They do not recognize him." Harry sat there, horror-struck. He had never known—never in four years—bothered to find out. "'The Longbottoms were very popular,' said Dumbledore. The attacks on them came after Voldemort's fall from power, just when everyone thought that they were safe. Those attacks caused a wave of fury such as I have never known. The Ministry was under great pressure to catch those who had done it. Unfortunately the Longbottom's evidence was, given their condition, none too reliable. Then Mr. Crouch's son might not have been involved. Said Harry slowly. Dumbledore shook his head. As to that, I have no idea. Harry sat in silence once more, watching the contents of the pensive swirl. There were two more questions he was burning to ask, but they concerned the guilt of living people. Um, he said, Mr. Bagman. Has never been accused of any dark activity since, said Dumbledore calmly. Right, said Harry hastily, staring at the contents of the Pensieve again, which were swirling more slowly now that Dumbledore had stopped adding thoughts. And... uh. But the Pensieve seemed to be asking his question for him. Snape's face was swimming on the surface again. Dumbledore glanced down into it and then up at Harry. No more has Professor Snape," he said. Harry looked, into, uh, Harry looked into Dumbledore's light blue eyes, and the thing he really wanted to know spilled out of, spilled out of his mouth before he could stop it. What made you think he'd really stopped supporting Voldemort, Professor? Dumbledore held Harry's gaze for a few seconds, and then said. That, Harry, is a matter between Professor Snape and myself. Harry knew that the interview was over. Dumbledore did not look angry, yet there was a finality in his tone that told Harry it was time to go. He stood up, and so did Voldemort. (laughs) You can tell we're getting to the end of a long one. He stood up, and so did Dumbledore. Harry, he said as Harry reached the door. Please do not speak about Neville's parents to anyone else. He has the right to let people know when he is ready. Yes, Professor, said Harry, turning to go. And... Harry looked back. Dumbledore was standing over the pensive, his face lit from beneath by its silvery spots of light, looking older than ever. He stared at Harry for a moment and then said, Good luck with the third task. And that is the end of chapter 30 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Ooh, I felt like a long one. It certainly wasn't the longest I've ever read, but it felt like a long one. Get this, get this thing out of here. Hey you guys. Ladies, gentlemen, everything in between. Uh, I hope you've had an excellent night. Let's see. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in chat, but not a ton. It's getting on to 830. Uh, I do however, stick around for a while in the discord if you guys are interested. Um, It's the link is in the description so you can find it there. But uh, unfortunately, I do have to shut down the stream at some point during the night. But uh, let me take a quick look at chat. Yeah, talking about the father-son relationship there. Um, boy, you think the relationship is messed up? And I think you know, there's there's certainly there's a lot of validity to that sentiment. The idea that this relationship between the two of them is messed up. There's that's that's the question ultimately is is this reaction from Crouch, this reaction to his son being accused of of uh dark magic and associating with with uh Death Eaters, is Bartimaeus Crouch's reaction to this valid? You know, I mean this this a lot of this series is essentially somebody learning kind of learning about a world war 1 and 2 that they never knew anything about and so imagine you know nazi sympathizers or or something like that nazi uh, people who who aided uh people who aided other people in some of the most despicable activity that humans have ever participated in when you accuse somebody of that you know the i think you have to react somehow and truly i i I have no answer as to whether or not this is justified you know there's there i we don't get to see kind of the due process of this all you know whether or not there was a fair trial involved it seems like they kind of took it down to a vote which it was unanimous but you know was that part of the hysteria of the time or was that the result of you know was were we seeing the last um uh trial period essentially um, in a long series of it where they really you know dug into the evidence seems like you know the evidence at least from the at least the the personal account from the long bottoms might not have been super reliable uh, and again it seems like what we're hearing about Mr. Crouch is that he reacted very very strongly to anyone accused of the dark arts he hated them and you can hear he renounces his own son because of it what is this about the praying emoji? What's going on here? Julia says great Bellatrix voice. Thank you. I had forgotten the Bellatrix was in this chapter and uh By the way, um when when uh oh boy, it's so hard to ask cuz I don't want to blow anything. I want I always want to get like uh impressions that I should do because I mean most of my voices here are bad impressions of somebody. Um, but it does help, kind of, you know, flesh out the characters, gives them each something a little unique to sound like. Um, but maybe I I, I will accept uh, some. Give me a woman's voice to do an impression of. Again, it's going to be a bad one because I can do sort of dialectic stuff okay, but the impressions I'm not good with. There are a couple that like. I, I think my Hagrid is a pretty decent actual impression of uh, Robbie Coltrane. I think his name is do Britney Spears oh gross gross Cass says Britney Spears for Bellatrix Strange. that's disgusting uh, she's gonna be uh, very nasally uh, ugh. but it's a good thought I need them I need ones like that that are fairly distinctive you know if you just tell me like Emma Thompson uh, that's going to be a much more difficult one because it's there you don't get as much uh i don't know it's not as easy to to recognize and pick out the details I don't know not as distinctive not as much of a caricature let's see Julia says not going to lie what crouch does to his son is extremely messed up, not to mention that it was mostly his fault yeah I think that I mean that that's certainly something to talk about you know whether we whether there are it sounds like a number of opinions and and dumbledore seems like kind of a blank slate with all this you know he really tries to maintain a neutrality about whether or not people are innocent or guilty he is willing to discuss facts like were they were they pronounced innocent or were they pronounced guilty but he he tends to reserve his own judgment um in interesting ways um but yeah regardless of of whether or not you you would agree that the reaction to, uh, you know, Barty Crouch's reaction to his son being uh, so strong, regardless of how you feel about that, the the lead up to that, you know, the the events that would cause one to become associated with with dark wizards, I do think there is, you know, there's there's some parental responsibility there. Now, at, at some point, there's only so much you can do. There's only there's only so so much of a helicopter parent you can be and uh you know eventually and it's it's not at 18 but eventually one's actions do cross over into the realm of their own control um, and their own responsibility it's not at 18 i think it's earlier than that i think it's a different number for everybody but yeah i mean there's 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 blame to be thrown around, and I think that's maybe the important thing that we're seeing here with I mean, with all these ac- accusations about Snape, about Crouch, um, about Bartimaeus Crouch, about his son, um, about Karkaroff, about Ludo Bagman. Everyone here, you know, there aren't people coming out of this looking rosy. There's a lot of blame going on. There's a lot of uh, uh, suspicion and fear, and I think that is, I mean... That that is when you see people at their most basic and I think that's a really important thought to uh keep in mind for ourselves. Because right now I think uh you know, we're not we're we're not in this this scenario. We're not we're not dealing with uh you know, these massive world war levels of threat, but as people as people feel afraid, um, you see them react strongly. And it's important to remember A why they're doing so but B uh, the appropriate way to, re- way to react to them difficult questions none of this easy alright one last thing general I do want to hear about uh, shoot copy that I something pillow fort well there was something on carry on that's the one pillow fort you talked about carry on is the one that you want to do uh explain a little bit better um okay so kate says do michael jackson oh boy <laughs> that might be it, it seems like it seems uh maybe maybe slinging in a little bit under the crazy the amount of crazy that we need for um for bellatrix lestrange but i don't know uh general says at the same time a bad childhood doesn't excuse someone's own evil acts. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I think uh you know there's there's <sighs> Ashling's well I think Ashling is a, is saying here what I'm about to say. Ashling says as a parent you have a responsibility, yeah, but at some point your child is no longer a child and has to face their actions. Yep. Yeah, I think uh at at some point the, the way that one reacts to their surroundings um, overtakes the importance of the surroundings themselves. There is, I, I think there's a, there's some sort of, there's some sort of balance between nature it's to overcome both of those things. Alright, General, let's hear it. Ashling says share. I don't know what share sounds like. I will have to do my research. I will though. I will. I will look up what share sounds like and see. See if a. Uh, oh, Kira Knightley. Did somebody throw Kira Knightley in there? Oh, Michaela did. Sorry, Michaela, I missed it. Kira Knightley would be. <laughs> Kira Knightley is going to make an appearance because she's a she's a fun voice to do. Oh, gotcha. I think my chat's just slightly behind yours. Oh, did she? Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Michaela, I apologize. I didn't see it. All right, Sheer, Sheer, Kira Knightley, and Cher. I'm gonna look into both of those, and I I will brush up on my Britney Spears as well. Just to, you know, just to see, because there are plenty of female voices. What? I have to do, yeah. Elise as Kira Knightley. Um, carry on. It's like Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I saw that. Um, is it? I mean, is it? It is. Let's see. It's more diverse in literally every way, and I love it. Who is it? by. Who is this who is this uh person you admire? And Ashling just says, oh boy. <laughs> I'm gonna have to sort out something because I can hear like I can hear sounds that my own mouth makes and it, it is driving me nuts. <laughs> just every time like okay. No, not when I do that thing. Different, different stuff just like every time I, I open my mouth eh, eh, I don't want to hear that noise rainbow Rowl or roll okay and a lot of canonical diversity okay interesting I will be looking that up as well let me go into my notes I'm gonna have to start an I have to start a note uh, because my memory is terrible but uh, I have to write down share Kira Knightley, Britney Spears, and uh, Rainbow Roll. Rainbow Roll, share Kira Knightley and Brit Spears. Oh baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? Something like that. Does that work? Is that? Oh, my my teeth are green screeny. <sighs> Give me a I'm not doing this. I hope you have a great night. I'm done. I'm I'm just I gotta call it here. I <laughs> have a great week. Uh, I will be back next week. But also surprise, I am going to be starting up another stream. Um, this is one that is not going to be in the same genre. I want to do something a little bit more classic and and hopefully a little- I want to maintain the amount of entertainment but also uh, give you guys a chance to hopefully uh, get some help with some more classic literature because I know that it really helped me when I heard uh, more classic stuff read, read out loud. So I'm gonna be starting with The Great Gatsby um, and we're going to talk about essentially all the things that if you're in a high school class, uh, all of what is my face doing? All of the things that, uh, you are going to end up talking about. Uh, we're going to talk about theme characters, plot. Uh, we are really going to go into, um, essentially the, the, the spark notes of it all. So my goal is to be a more entertaining spark notes. Uh, I'm going to do a test stream for it probably on Tuesday during the day. Um, it'll be earlier than this stream. It's, it's almost always going to be earlier than this stream. I think, um, we're going to do a test stream, probably something from Edgar Allan Poe, maybe some Sherlock Holmes. I don't know exactly, but uh, test stream. And then, yeah, look forward to some great Gatsby coming up. And that will be in parallel with this. So this is continuing on as usual. Everybody, have a great night. Go check me out on instagram like i said i'm gonna be kicking back up with that if you like discord which i like discord because it gives me a chance to hang out with you guys even more after i shut down the streams go ahead and check it out in in the description for the video um it should be in the description of like all of my videos since like book two or something um and let's see Uh, michael says make luna britney spears new channel spark notes stories yeah uh all right and uh with that note from the general i'm in therapy and i'm doing better therapy's awesome everyone have a great week i will see you next week and be on the lookout be on the lookout instagram youtube discord be on the lookout for announcements about the next series have a great night y'all bye-bye